0: Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We're equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstamper, and I want to invite you to celebrate communion with us July 23rd at 5 p.m. We practice an ancient observance of this special time of worship, which includes not only taking the bread and the cup, but also washing feet and sharing in a celebratory meal together. Now, I grew up taking the bread and the cup as the only part of communion, and most believers know that we do this in remembrance of Jesus and the sacrificial work he did on our behalf on the cross. But by washing each other's feet, we obey Jesus' direct command in John chapter 13 to work together to live lives pleasing to God. We each individually trust Jesus for our salvation, but once we're adopted into the family, We look to help each other and to be helped by our brothers and sisters until Jesus returns. And we also look forward to Jesus's return by sharing a meal together and practicing what it'll be like when we get to join him in heaven together. I know that these actions are unusual for Americans today, but we do them because we have faith in Jesus and that faith leads us to follow his commands. What we believe determines what we do, otherwise, our faith is dead. So join us on July 23rd at 5 p.m. for a communion celebration. We observe the communion celebration because Jesus has promised to return and set the world right again. So today, as we continue our Base Camp series in chapter four of the letter to the Romans, we'll learn that active faith means living in light of God's promises. And what is that gospel promise? Let's listen in together as Pastor Todd McQueen shares from God's Word.
1: Well, good morning, church. Going through our series in Romans on in Base Camp, establishing the foundational principles of our faith, what we believe and why we believe it. And this morning, we're going to talk a lot about promises. We're talking about Abraham's promises in Genesis, and we'll revisit those. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is our promise. Jesus has made that to us. So as you turn to Romans chapter 4, and if you'd like to have a Bible this morning, we can have some we can give out, story Bibles. Romans chapter 4, and as you're turning there, how many of you have ever been promised a super birthday or Christmas gift? Or you've thought, man, I would really like to have that. And this week, I was thinking, what would be a cool gift? So this company, Triton Submarines, makes their private subs for people. That's only $5.5 million, only $5.5 million. Ross, you could probably get two. So in their, in their literature, you talk about an extravagant gift, your own personal submarine. In their literature, they say, hey, in complete safety and comfort, you and a passenger can dive to the depths of almost a mile and a half under the water, a mile and a half, and discover parts of the ocean unexplored by man and witness the incredible lives of inhabitants of the deep. Great sales pitch, isn't it? to get your own submarine and go a mile and a half under the water. Now, Robbie's shaking your head like, I don't think so. But it's an extravagant gift. And I would, safe to assume this morning, not too many of us will be ordering one those this week. But as we turn to Romans 4, we're going to talk about a promised gift. And it's on page 780. And we're going to talk about Abraham this morning and the promises God made to him. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Stop there. So Paul begins Romans chapter 4 with a question. What's the question? What did Abraham gain by what he did, what he planned, or what he worked out on his own when he did not live in light of God's promises? So allow me to take you on a journey through Genesis when Abraham thought he had it all together and he was going to do it his way. So we'll start this morning in Genesis 12 and just follow along with me as I tell you this story. When Abraham believed in himself, when he said, I got this, Here's some of the things he ran into. In Genesis 12, there's a severe famine in the land. So Abe and Sarah go to Egypt. And since Sarah is amazingly gorgeous, he married a hot chick. So he's going to Egypt. So he comes up with this plan. Hey, Sarah, pretend that you're my sister. Because if the dudes in Egypt find out that I'm your husband, they'll whack me. So sure enough, Pharaoh gets, wow, there's Sarah, takes her into his house, and God says, no. And he strikes Pharaoh in his house with plagues. And so Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and says, what in the world have you done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And he was like, oh, sorry. So then they leave. So when he thought he could do it on his own, hey, Sarah, pretend that you're just my wife. So in Genesis 16, 10 years later, after God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child, Sarah considered herself barren, like most of us would, way past menopause. And she thinks, surely God can't keep his promise that a very old lady like me, way past menopause, can have a kid. So she comes up with her own way of filling in the blanks for God and convinces Abraham to have a child through her servant, Hagar. Now, Abraham passively goes along with this, like it's a good idea. Guys, don't nod too quick. You know, when your wife makes an idea, you don't want to fight her, and you're just like, yeah, honey, that's a good idea. So what happens then? They have Ishmael. Does anybody seen on the news the Israel-Middle East conflict? Does anybody know anything about that? This is where this started. When a couple thinks, I can handle this on my own, God is a little delayed in making his promises, we'll come up with plan B. It'll work out. Trust me, Abraham. The consequences for that choice still resonate to this day. It did not go well. Genesis 17, 25 years after the promise of the child... God reminds them by showing up himself and says, Hey, y'all gonna have a kid. Abraham is now 100, getting close to 100. Sarah's getting close to 90. The text at this point in Genesis 17, they both laugh. God, we know you made a promise 25 years ago. There is no way you're gonna be able to handle this. In fact, it's hilarious. Not only do we don't trust you any longer about this, but that's a funny joke. Is anybody familiar with the Robert Frost poem, Dear God, forgive me the joke I've played on you, and I'll forgive you the great big one you've played on me. I'm the only one that's heard that. Miss Sue's probably heard it. She was a literature major. We sometimes think God has made his promise to us, and we're going to trust him on that. And then later on down the road, we're like... What a joke. I trusted you, and now life is the way it is. Literally, this couple laughs out loud when God shows up in person to remind them of his promise. It's funny. So, the answer to Romans, the question in Romans 1 this morning, 4 1 What did Abraham gain by working things out on his own? Heartache. Trial, disappointment, frustration, the current Middle East conflict. Thank you very much, you two, we all say. See, we cannot make God's promises come true by doing it on our own. And where this applies to us this morning, when it comes to faith, because we're studying Abraham this morning, we're going to study faith. Yeah, I believe in God, but I'm going to work it out on my own. We run into this day in and day out. I battle with this just this week. God, I trust you to do this, but let me try to figure this out on my own. And then we run into a roadblock and we're like, wow, that's horrible. Life really is pretty bad right now. Well, did, are you doing it on your own? Or are you following God? How many of you run into that roadblock this week? You run into that wall and It hurts. So Paul asks the question, hey, what did Abraham gain when he tried to work it out on his own? What's the answer? Dun, 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 dun. Nothing. Horrible. You're like, well, Pastor Todd, you're talking about Abraham, and Paul uses him in chapter 4 as just a wonderful evidence of faith. Well, there was times. Let's look at those. Let's look at, let's go back through and look when Abraham did trust God and his promises and took active steps of faith as he believed him. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. At the age of 75, God says, Abraham, pack your stuff. I know you're retired. I know you're done working. Pack up you, your business, and all the kids and move everybody out of town. You guys are leaving today, go to the Ozarks. What did you take to the post office? You change address form. God didn't give him an address. Pack your stuff, Sarah and Abraham. You're leaving town. He's 75 years old. How many of us were comfortably retired with a 3,000 square foot house down in the villages with all the toys, beautiful garden, the kids are outgrown the house. They're beautiful doing life on their own. You retire from work. Your 401K is blossoming, and you're just ready to sit by the beach. No more getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning going surveying. God calls and says to hey, by the way, pack your stuff. You're moving. I'm going to just gonna be like, well, where? I need more evidence. Abraham says, okay. Sarah, pack it up. We're moving. Get, all the, get everybody together. So he moves. He had no idea. And God says, but once you get there, I'll show it to you. So in Genesis 13, Abraham actually turns in his change of address when he gets there and moves his entire family very late in life. So he's put faith into action and stopped and went there. He's in the foreign soil. God then shows Abraham the promised land. And he says, hey, I'm going to give you kids to fill up this land. So in Genesis 15, while God is showing Abraham and Sarah this promised land, Abraham asked the obvious question. I'm old. I'm pretty stinking rich. Who's all this going to go to? If I handed you a deed to a couple hundred acres in a national forest and you're really late in life, what's your question to me, Ross? Well, thanks for giving it to me now. I could have used that when I was 22. And you have no kids. You have no one to hand it off to. What's the good of God saying, hey, here's all of this, and you get to have fun? Well, I don't have any kids. So he answers God. He asks God the obvious question. And God takes him outside and says, look up must have been a nighttime. said, see all the stars? Go ahead and start counting. That's how many kids you'll have. And Genesis 15, 6 is the incredible verse of the morning. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. What he did was believe. Crazy set of circumstances. God, I'm gonna take you at your word for what you say is true. And he says this to him. After he has moved all of his stuff, his faith is in motion. God is interacting with him and said, you believe me? And God can judge the heart and says, I'll count it to you as righteousness. So Abraham's faith was in action. What I'm trying to illustrate this morning, was Abraham perfect? No. No. If you're going to search the Bible for heroes of the faith, they are there. But the cool thing about every one of these heroes is at certain times in their life, they really, really screwed up. Did Abraham make some monstrously bad decisions? Yeah. Have we made monstrously bad decisions after we've followed God? Can we still have faith in God? that his promise is true and God still have a relationship with us. Absolutely. That is the good news this morning that Jesus has died for you, rose again and has promised to come back saying, I've got you. Do you believe me? And that journey of faith is seen in Abraham and it's the faith of Abraham and what God says is true, that he believes in that God says that is righteousness. When Jesus says, do you believe in me? It's that belief then that God says it's righteousness. And I like, I can't help, but go here. We're all adults this morning. This must mean one of those pastor Todd moments, Genesis 21. They had a baby. way after menopause, they had to, let me just say, it takes two to tango, faith and action, I'm going to give you a kid, that means the two of you are going to have to have sex. Now the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of ideas of what happened when that came about, but the Lord came and visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. So what was going on in her female parts? He fixed it. What was going on in his male parts? He fixed it. Then they had to get together to have a baby. Faith in action is even in your relationship at home. Following Jesus, I love the Bible because it's so honest. And it's these moments when you're thinking, you know, I've always knew that they were going to have Isaac, but I never heard a pastor talk about sex as part of faith. It's your guys' first visit here. I, you know, I don't know how you react to this, but I again, it's part of the faith process. God's promises come in true included the bedroom. At 100 So turn with me now to Romans chapter 4 verse 4. So we've studied what in the world was Abraham's faith. So let's continue. Now verse 4 Now to the one who works his wages are not counted to him as a gift but his due. Stop. The one who works, let's do them. When you go to work and you make $10 an hour and you work eight hours, how much is your due? $80. This isn't hard, even though I'm horrible at math. I was an English major and I really fled from math, but I made this illustration really simple for me. When we go to work tomorrow, Most of us know exactly how much our paycheck should be. In fact, I could have figured out how much hours I had to work to pay for the gas to get to work. I had everything broken down like that. So Paul asked the question, if you work, you're due. It's earned. You earned that. Now, there's a gift that Jesus Christ offers you that you cannot afford. If you want that submarine, can you earn it in your lifetime? I mean, maybe $5.5 million, you never spend anything else? Huh. The gift that Jesus offers you is way beyond $5.5 million. Can you earn it? No. You cannot put in enough hours at $8 an hour. No. Or a submarine. What I'm trying to do is say, you can't earn that submarine. You can't earn Jesus' salvation. Paul just makes this little verse and says, if you think you can earn it, and by the way, he said, did Abraham earn anything with his faith? How did that turn out when he tried to earn it? Bad. Now, for you, this morning, if you want to try to earn your favor with the God of the universe, can you pay off that debt? Now, here's the flip side of it. Robbie has a clear title to a Hemi, what's the hellcat? And Frank loves to have a Hellcat. Everybody wants a Hellcat, and he offers it to Frank, free and clear. And Frank goes, "Robbie, thanks for that. I want to earn it. Uh, that was that's a really nice Hellcat. Here's twenty bucks. No, oh, I know you'd take it." Robbie's trying to offer him a gift, and Frank offers him 20 bucks. Does that make any sense? But when we come to Jesus, we're like, hey, I know it's free, but I want to earn it. I want to add my two cents to it, and I want to be able to say, I am rightful owner of part of this title to this Hellcat or this submarine or whatever it is. So just stop here a moment. Are you trying to earn your way into Jesus Christ by saying, I'm doing good I have never killed anybody. I'm trying to be good enough. You can't. Because the offer of the gift through Jesus Christ is something you cannot afford. So move with me to Romans chapter 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes... In him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's a gift. We must believe God. We must trust God. We've got to take Him at His word, and that is promise, because he is the only one who can justify us or declare us guilt-free for our sin. See, God is the just and the justifier. We have to trust him for his gift, because he's the only one that can do it. We can't earn it, and we can't afford it. Our faith has to be like Abraham in 15.6, to believe what God says is true. Do you believe what God says is true? It's where it all starts. I need you, God, because I'm a sinner, and I know that I deserve your wrath. I know that you have offered up your Son as a payment for that sin, as a once and final payment for it that was perfect. That you rose from the dead as a payment for my sin, declaring to the entire world that that was a payment to the Father enough for my sin. Do you believe that? And then, do you believe that he's promised to return again someday? That's the promise that still exists for us. That's why we read Revelation. Jesus is not done with his work here. So, our faith has to be like Abraham. We don't get to see it. The kid isn't born yet. And what are the blessings of this? Paul quotes David's pen as he wrote a song in Psalm 32. What are the blessings of faith, the forgiveness of our sins? God is, Jesus was our justifier. And God God the Father not holding our sins against us because he's just. Who did God hold the sins of our sins against? He doesn't just look the other way. There was a price paid. Who paid the price? Upon whom did the wrath of God land squarely? Jesus That is our blessings. Love, seeing a need and meeting a need. Jesus saw your need of your need for having your sins dealt with and paid the price for you. You didn't write a check for it. He didn't look at you and say, "Wow, well, you're worthy." But he loved you enough and sought you out enough to call you to himself with this good news that there is salvation through Jesus Christ and that living for him includes today and tomorrow morning when you get up and go to work, you go to school, or whatever you're doing tomorrow. So let's look at Jesus' promise. Move with me to chapter 4, verse 22. Jesus' promise. Starting in verse 22, talking about Abraham. That is why his faith, Abraham, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It would be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. A ton of big words. But Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. That wasn't just written for him because the idea of faith, believing what God says is true, starts at Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. This is for you this morning just as well. Those words it was counted to you as righteousness through faith is entire across the entire Bible. You know, faith is always is God, do I take it your word? Does what you say is true? Do I believe it? Do I trust you? Do you believe what God has promised this morning? Jesus is God. As creator, now listen to me, as creator, he came down to earth to train up some disciples. Then he died for those disciples. Then he was delivered up on the cross as their final and perfect sacrifice for sins. Then he raised from the dead to declare his disciples guilt-free. They were his followers the whole time do you choose this morning to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if you think about it from the perspective of the disciples, this changes things dramatically. Imagine if he just came to do that for those 12. I'll go through it one more time. For his disciples, he came to train them. Then he died for them. Then he was delivered up as their final and perfect sacrifice for sins. Then he was delivered up for his disciples to declare them guilt-free. This morning, will you choose to be a follower of Jesus? And as his disciples, do you believe in this very promise? Because Jesus has promised to return again, to sit on David's throne, and to make all things new. Do you believe in that promise? So, active faith means living in light of that promise. If you believe what I just said was true, then what does your faith look like? Can it be seen? Can it be noticed? Because Abraham did some crazy stuff, and I bet you his neighbors asked him, What in the world are you doing? Do you believe in the Jesus of Matthew 28? It's the same guy, the same God, who came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Well, your act faith mean you will obey him in making disciples. Because what's his promise here? We're getting ready to read it. Go and make disciples. And I'll be with you. As you go into your community tomorrow morning, this afternoon, and reach out to those who are broken and lost, share your faith faith in Jesus as your Savior and reigning King, who, with all of heaven's authority, commands us to make disciples as we go this week, as you go to the Ozarks. Will you make disciples there? Make disciples who in turn come to know Jesus and then make their faith public and teach them to obey that what Jesus has commanded in his word. Do this by teaching by your mouth and by your hands and feet. Many people aren't going to listen to a doggone thing you say until they watch your hands and feet in action. Active faith believes in Jesus Christ who is with us now, tomorrow morning, and this week.
0: Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.